You'll join me in Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2 and verse 11 this morning. You can find that on page 940 of the Blue ESV Bible as we continue in our series through Paul's letter to the Romans. We are on verse 11 of chapter 2. The title of our sermon this morning is No Partiality. And our key words for our worshipers in training are partiality, race, and people. Now, most sports that involve referees have some sort of fair share of stories about missed calls or bad calls. If you're a sports fan, you can probably recall a game that you've watched or maybe you've even played when a call by the referee might have changed the entire outcome of the game in its entirety. When I was thinking about this, I immediately remembered the 1986 World Cup in soccer when Argentina was playing against England. Argentina's Diego Maradona went in for a goal, and he was probably off sides, but when he jumped for a header, he lifted his arm above his head, and he knocked the ball into the goal. The referees didn't see the handball. It was called as a goal. It was one of the most obvious handballs in professional soccer history. It gave Argentina the lead, and then four minutes later, Maradona scored again. It was referred to as the goal of the century. England eventually lost, even though it should have been a tied match, but because of the non-call on this handball, Argentina won the quarterfinals, went on to win the finals against West Germany, and they won the World Cup that year. In the years since, Maradona's goal has been called the hand of God. Now, you can imagine, of course, that the English fans were very upset, but this was well before referees could watch replays on the field and check their calls on camera. And so it went on as a goal, and the rest, they say, is history. But when you're an athlete and you're being judged by a referee, or when you're a, a sports fan rooting for your favorite team, the reality is that you want a partial referee. You hear it all the time that people will say, well, it's obvious who the refs want to win. And we only say that when it's not the team we're rooting for. We assume referees are partial to one team over the other. And if it's our team, we are okay with it. Everyone really wants partiality when the referee or, or when the umpire is making a call because we want the calls to be in our favor. Yes, okay, maybe his foot was a little out of bounds, but if the referee didn't see it, he doesn't call it, there is no whistle, we're good to go. Just keep playing. Yes, I was offsides, there was no call, so we'll just keep going like it never happened. Now, probably the most partial judges that are overly obvious about it are in the Olympics. You've all seen this when various nations hold up their scorecard signs. You always know what the internal conflicts are above the nation, amongst the nations. Things especially like figure skating or Jermaine Fields' favorite sport, synchronized swimming. <laughs> right? You go, you go down the line. Germany, 10. France, 10. England, 9. America, 9. Mexico, 3. Canada, 9. Oh, what's up with Mexico? 
But we really do want that, don't we? We want our referees to be partial because we want to have an advantage. We want to win. If you catch yourself driving too fast down the road, you come around the corner and there's a cop sitting there with his radar and you're with three other cars, you kind of want the cop to be partial for your sake, don't you? If he's going to pull someone over, you really hope it's one of those other people. If a, if a plane is full of people and they need to move someone up from coach to first class to make sure they have enough seats and the load is balanced, you really, really hope the flight attendant is partial, right? Trust me, if you can fly in first class, you want to fly in first class. Nobody's going to say, thank you for choosing me. However, I think you need a more impartial method of selecting who should move to that seat up front. It's not fair that you would just give it to me. If you say that, you shouldn't go to first class. You should be slapped, sit down, and ride and coach. Don't ask questions. If your company is handing out promotions, you want to stand out from all of your colleagues because of your superior work. But let's be honest. It doesn't hurt to be in the boss's good graces, does it? When we were in PE class in school, we never wanted to be the last one picked for the team, did we? We wanted someone to be partial because it makes us feel special. It makes us feel better. It moves us ahead. It gives us an advantage. And if we're being really selfish, it gives us a sense that maybe we are a little bit more important than others. The truth is, there are a lot of things in this world that we want to be impartial In fact, we even talk about how a perfect legal system is one that is impartial. We want an impartial judge, and our legal system is symbolized by Lady Justice who holds the scales, and she has a blindfold because true justice is blind to who it is that is being judged. It is simply by the law itself. We want to think that justice in our world is impartial. But in theory, that's a great thing. But in reality, if you're the one being judged, you want every advantage that you can get. We want a partial judge. We want a partial jury. And when we're the one being convicted, it's why we spend money on the best lawyers so we can get the best argument. We want partiality. And so as we come to verse 11 this morning of chapter 2 in Paul's letter to the Romans, we come to something that may seem obvious, it may seem self-explanatory, and it may seem completely right to us as it is stated, but our flesh rebels against this idea that we will see. Now, so far, remember, Paul has been revealing his argument about man's depravity. He's been exposing our true nature to us. He's been holding up a mirror to us to tell us, this is who you are in light of what you have done. And what we have done in our natural state is that we have suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness. We have embraced unholiness. We have embraced ungodliness. We have worshipped the creature, rather than the Creator. We have cheered on others who have done the same in the darkness with us. And Paul reminds us multiple times that because God has revealed Himself to all of mankind in nature, we are well aware of His existence, and we are without excuse when it comes to our standing before God. 
apart from Christ, each and every one of us are rightly and justly condemned. So the question is, how does God determine who is condemned and who is safe from all condemnation? Paul makes it abundantly clear this morning in this short verse, and it's important for us to contemplate all by itself this morning. So look at with me, verse 11, very short. For God shows no partiality. The King James Version says, for there is no respect of persons with God. In other words, there is nothing about anyone that causes God to be partial. And we're going to think about this under three headings this morning, and the first is related to God's nature, and the other two are related to how this impacts us as mankind. What does it mean for us that God is impartial? Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? But first, a little theology for our first point this morning, and it is this. It is good that God is impartial. The Bible tells us very clearly, right here in this verse and elsewhere, that God is impartial. So on that object alone, we can conclude that God's impartiality is good because God alone determines what is good. But that response is not entirely satisfying. So let's think more deeply about the matter. When we talk about impartiality, we are talking about God's justice. And by justice, we mean the character of God, which leads to the treatment, how He treats creation, and specifically how He treats His human creatures in strict accordance with what we deserve. The Bible says that God does so without respect of persons. Unlike our justice system, unlike our attempts at justice, God's justice is perfect, God's justice is impartial, while ours is imperfect and partial. God's justice arises from infinite knowledge, from infinite wisdom, from infinite holiness, from infinite goodness. Our knowledge is finite. Our wisdom is finite. We are finite. And so when we seek justice, we do so without all the facts. We do so without always knowing what justice will actually look like. We do so without understanding the motives of the hearts of all who are involved. Furthermore, whether we want to or not, there is no sense in which we are impartial. We are swayed by crafty arguments. We are convinced by the change of someone's voice. We all have a narrative that we want the circumstances to fit within. We are all biased in in different ways. We all think we know more than we do. I read a book recently called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell, and the basic premise of this book was to show that while we really think we can read people and we have a good sense of whether or not a person is lying or telling the truth or whether or not they're trustworthy, we actually don't. He showed that study after study after study, giving example after example, proves that the clues we look for the signs we think we can see to determine the things we want to know about a person as accurate, are, are as accurate as, as flipping a coin or never meeting the person at all. 
Gladwell writes, We think we can easily see into the hearts of others based on the flimsiest of clues. We jump at the chance to judge strangers. We would never do that to ourselves, of course. We are nuanced and complex. But the stranger is easy. If I can convince you of one thing, let it be this. Strangers are not easy. And throughout his book, he shows example after example after example of the very people we assume would be very good at making a judgment about a person upon first meeting them, but they are simply no better than anybody else in doing so. CIA officers cannot make sense of their spies. Judges cannot make sense of their defendants. Prime ministers cannot make sense of their adversaries. People struggle when they first meet a person. They even struggle with someone they've known for months or years. We struggle with a person's character and intent because we think too highly of our ability to be impartial and discerning and wise as judges. And and I assume that even right now as I say that, some of you are sitting here, and I've heard some say this before, you're even thinking right now, well, I am a good judge of people. I can really read people. I know what people are like. I often hear someone say, within the first minute of meeting a person, I know what they're like. And so we sort of impute this divine attribute of omniscience and impartiality to ourselves. But simply, we are not. People are wildly complex. And it's why we are often shocked when we find out something about someone when they are exposed, or when we assume that someone is dirty and guilty and we determine in our own judgment that they are, only to find out that in fact they are innocent. And that reality should give all of us pause, because we cannot help but make judgments about other people. But our judgments are not infallible. We are not good at doing this like we think we are. This is why it is a good thing in our society that we have juries of multiple people instead of a single judge. It's why it's good that we have appeals processes to get new rulings because we believe very strongly that it is better for 100 guilty people to go free than for one innocent person to be wrongly punished. We want to think that we can be impartial, but we cannot. We should strive to be impartial in certain circumstances. But the reality is, it's not in us. We are not and we cannot be. There are numerous commands in Scripture, however, that implore us to be impartial. This very verse in verse 11, it's underneath all of this. This is how God is and therefore this is how we ought to be. But the commands themselves are reminders to us that we cannot be this way. Our partiality is a result of the fall of mankind. Perfect impartiality is a standard set by God because it is essential to His nature. It is who He is. And that is amongst many of the differences between us and God. His justice is absolutely perfect. Ours is flawed. There will never be a false judgment on the part of God. His judgment is always just. The all-perfect being has no deficiencies. His justice is in accordance with the strictest justice in whatever you deserve, but only to the extent that you deserve in the full measure of every one of your punishable deeds. 
So, let's think about this a little more as we seek to apply it in our own lives and circumstances. One of the truths that is lingering behind everything that Paul has shown us so far in the book of Romans is that each and every one of us is created in the image of God, which means that He has created us with the rational and the moral and the affectional capacities to image Him. That has to be true, or else everything that Paul has listed out for us thus far in the first two two chapters to show us the sin of our hearts and actions and how we have fallen short of what he has commanded wouldn't make any sense at all. If we were like other animals, if we were just like cows or pigs or giraffes or dinosaurs, we wouldn't have the moral capacity that God has placed upon humans. We are unique in creation. We are the crowning creation of God, and He made us to image Him. We have been designed and have the capacity to mirror or to reflect God, and He made us that way. So, another way we are made to magnify our Maker so His nature and His character are on display for all to see through us is that we recognize that we have an obligation to do all that we do to see that God is glorified. And God is glorified through us as we more rightly reflect His image to the world around us. Now, as His image bearers, we can see all the more why there is this essential command implied in our text today that you and I strive to be impartial. Why? Because God is impartial, and we are created in His image, and He is impartial. But the problem that Paul has shown us is that our tendency is not toward impartiality, but it is always toward partiality, because at heart we are all rebels. We are blind, and we treasure the creature over the Creator, and in so doing, we stand in rebellion against God. Every single person that has ever lived, except one, is guilty of this very thing, namely that we do not live up to our essential calling as human beings to image God to the world around us. And so things like the impartiality of God that should be imaged in the impartiality of man are not fulfilled because we are partial. So, let me illustrate this by addressing the great big elephant in the room of 21st century culture. You might have noticed that as of late, the national conversation includes a few comments here and there about racism. And that particular issue of impartiality as it relates to human beings created in the image of God is very important to grasp. And as Christians, we have an especially important role to play in rightly understanding what the issue is and how we can and should think about it biblically. Let's be clear. The impartiality of God relates directly to this issue. This is not something we're trying to to force into the text. Remember the context. What is Paul writing about here? Paul is specifically writing to the Jews who would be assuming that Paul's condemnation of sin up to this point in Romans 
is only toward the Gentiles. Remember, the Jews were sitting back and they're hearing all of this condemnation and they're cheering on Paul, wanting him to keep going in on the Gentiles because they assume nothing you say has anything to do with us. And remember, we saw two weeks ago, Paul said, hold on a second, you're being hypocrites because I'm talking about you as well. And so you see, Paul is writing to these people who thought because of their ethnicity, that they were better. But Paul is telling them your ethnicity is not a factor in God's judgment whatsoever. Not then, not now, not ever. He judges all men on the same basis that all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so what does this tell us as we seek to apply this text? As we seek to think about what that means for all of us who are bearing the image of God and called to live and to think in an impartial manner. First of all, what is racism? In general, when we think about what we call racism, it is the sin of attributing to one ethnicity intrinsic superiority or value above Another, and then treating others as undesirable or even evil. Now, God created one race, the human race, and we are all different ethnicities. But instead of squabbling over terminology, we simply understand that in our common usage today, this, this idea of racism is something that is often used interchangeably race, ethnicity. Whatever. So we're not going to argue over terminology, but what we see is that many, not all, but many of the Jews had a racist position toward the Gentiles, and vice versa. So this is a history-long problem. This is a global problem. This is not just a black and white problem, or a Mexican Native American problem, or a Yorba Ibo problem, or an Asian problem, or a Rwandan problem, or a Jewish Gentile problem. This is a problem of all humanity and our partiality, thus wrongly reflecting God's image by preferring one ethnic group over another, one race over another. It is a massive, global, history-long, devastating, bloody, murderous problem. Think of the Armenian genocide in Turkey in 1915. A million slaughtered Armenians. Not Armenians, Armenians. The Holocaust in Germany. Six million Jews slaughtered. Who knows how many tens of millions in the Soviet gulags under Stalin the massacres of Rwanda in 1994, the Japanese slaughter of six million Chinese, Indonesians, Koreans, Filipinos, and Indochinese, a litany of history-long bloodletting all in the name of race. Why? Because we fail to be impartial. We fail to rightly reflect the image of God. It begins, Paul shows us, with exalting ourselves over and against our Maker. And if we're going to exalt ourselves over and above our Maker, then of course, of course, it will be us exalting ourselves over and above others. If you can think of yourself better than God, how would you not think of yourself better than others around you? 
Anybody that would have the audacity to not submit themselves to the king of kings would not have any problem whatsoever in exalting their natural state, how they were created over and above how someone else was created. And so we are so partial that we find pleasure in our self-exaltation, and in our self-exaltation, we would use our ethnicity as a weapon to hoist us over and above others in our minds, in our hearts, and sadly often in our words and our actions. The sin of racism grows in the ground of pride and self-exaltation. So as Christians, as image bearers of God, we have a responsibility here. What is it? Well, first, it's a responsibility to not get ourselves derailed by the way the world talks about an issue like this. I will tell you, from my academic work, I've read a ton of books and articles related to this issue on all imaginable sides, and almost all of it is completely unhelpful because the starting place is fundamentally flawed. Why can Christians hear something like that famous quote from Martin Luther King Jr., that he had a dream that one day his children would be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Why can Christians hear that and say yes and amen? Because that is a biblical truth. That is a biblical desire. That is a godly longing. That is the heart of a Christian as we strive to be faithful image bearers of God, recognizing that our ethnic differences are not something that should divide us at all, but rather they are beautiful. God created this reality that should bring us to a place of greater worship a place of more grateful praise of our God because He created us and we all look different on the outside. Not just the color of our skin, but of our eyes and our hair and our size and everything about us. And listen, that's really good for you because it's a burden to have to look like me all the time. We can rejoice in our differences. But we should say, as as image bearers of God, as the people of God, we are to image God's impartiality. The differences of our ethnicity are actually a reason to rejoice because it is a display of God's sovereign creativity, of God's masterful work in creating beautiful people from all over this world. And when he brings people that look different together in marriage to create new families, their children are a beautiful new image bearer that looks yet different from others. And once again, God is putting on display his creative power and his beauty. We shouldn't pretend like that doesn't exist. We shouldn't say things like, I don't see color. You don't look at a field of different flowers of different color and say, I don't see any difference. There's a difference, and it's beautiful, and we praise God for that beauty. Brothers and sisters, the impartiality of God must be imaged by us as we look at others, and particularly on this very basic level of human interaction, because if we cannot get behind and get beyond someone's skin color, we will never get to their heart. And if we can't get to their heart, that says a whole lot about ours. Don't pretend like partiality when it comes to race, doesn't exist. It does. Racism exists. 
It's everywhere in the world, and it always has been, and it always will be, sadly, until Christ returns. Seek your own heart before God and ask Him to root out any racism that might exist in you. But listen, you also don't need to feel guilty because of how God created you. You are one piece of this beautiful mosaic of humanity, and you should not be ashamed of how God made you to look. You should embrace it. You shouldn't let anyone make you feel guilty because of it, no matter what you look like. So recognize racism for the sin that it is. Don't be a racist. Don't feel guilty of who you were created to be and seek to faithfully and impartially image God in loving all of your neighbors everywhere, not just the ones who look like you. If we can do that, we would make tremendous progress for the kingdom in an area that the world has obviously not been able to figure out. And we know why. Because it is only in Christ that there is no male or female or slave nor free nor black nor white nor Asian nor Russian. But we all stand together on equal footing as sinners created in the image of Christ at the foot of the cross in need of redemption. But listen, all of this actually creates a bigger problem for us. The second thing for us to see this morning is that it is not good for us that God is impartial in His judgments. Now, wait a second, Pastor. You just told us that God's impartiality is good and that we should be impartial. So what are you saying? I am saying that, yes. I'm not taking that back. I'm not contradicting that. It is good, and we must strive for impartiality. However, the fact that God is impartial in His judgment is not ultimately good news because we are guilty before God, every last one of us. God's judgment is impartial. And so that means that it is applied equally to all people no matter what. He has one standard, and that standard does not bend or flex or break for anyone at all. Think of a pole vaulter. They carry that big long pole and they run as fast as they can and they stick that pole into the base. They hold onto that pole and hopefully it, it launches them over the bar. But when you look, that pole, it bends. Sometimes it bends so much, it's so flexible, it looks like it's going to break. But it sort of rubber bands them over the top. It's an amazing thing. I love watching pole vaulting. It's so cool. But here's the deal. You and I, if we're honest we would admit that we really wish God's law was like that pole. That in the end, we can get hurled over the top by flexing the law of God. Yeah, okay, so I've sinned a few times. Okay, so maybe a lot of times. Okay, I've broken all Ten Commandments. But God, I'm a pretty nice guy most of the time. And I go to church fairly regularly, I give some money here and there. I pray before meals. I, I even forward on those emails. I do that. Lord, can you give me a little flex in your law? But God's law is impartial. God's judgment is 
impartial, and there is no bending. There is no flexing. There is no changing. There is no standard in God's law for one group of people that is different for another group of people. And that is Paul's exact point to the Jews and to you and I. Your Jewishness does not help in the day of judgment. Brothers and sisters, your church membership, as important as it is, does not help you in the day of judgment. Your Americanness does not help you. Your ethnicity does not help you. Your giving does not help you. Your service does not help you. Your good theology does not help you. The devastating reality is that when we are compared to an impartial, unbending law, all of us are guilty. All of us are guilty. All of us are worthy of the just judgment of God. And all of us are deserving of God's wrath and condemnation. All of us deserve the anger and punishment of God. All of us deserve the everlasting torment of hell. So listen, yes, it is good that God is impartial. But that's not good news for us because there's not a single thing that we can do to cause Him to be partial in our favor. There's nothing in us that can sway God's judgment. He won't have groups of people, some he judges one way, some he judges another, in terms of the determination of guilt or innocence. There's not a single charge against you in the courtroom of heaven to which you can say, I'm not guilty of that one. I mean, I didn't really hate that guy. I just strongly disliked him, Lord. You see, the Lord sees all of the evidence with perfect wisdom and perfect insight and perfect knowledge. He knows your heart better than you do. So you and I, brothers and sisters, we are not helped in the least bit by God's impartiality, even though it is good because it means that God is equitable and fair. He is the only truly equitable and fair and just judge in all the universe. He has never and will never make a false judgment. So when we are guilty, like all of us are, that in itself is not good news. However, and finally this morning, it is good for us that God is impartial in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, who is the gospel for? Remember in Luke chapter 4, Jesus quoted a text from the prophet Isaiah, and he said this about himself. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, Jesus is primarily speaking here spiritually. So, spiritually, who are the poor? That's all of us. Who is in bondage, in need of liberty, to be set free from the ensnaring chains of sin and death? You and me. Who is spiritually blind, without eyes to see? Who is spiritually deaf, without ears to hear? Who is spiritually dead and trespasses and sins with a cold, dead heart that is not aroused in any way by the things of God? Each and every one of us as we stood as enemies of God. But praise be to God that Jesus has come into this world and said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
You see, Jesus didn't come into this world just to save the Jews. Jesus didn't come into this world just to save the Americans. Jesus didn't come into this world just to save the Laotians or the Taiwanese or the Puerto Ricans or the Yugoslavians or the Australians or the Eskimos or the Californians. (laughs) Jesus came into the world to save from every tongue, every tribe, every people, and every nation because God is impartial, so his gospel is impartial. Do you remember that great picture of heaven that John shows us in Revelation? He says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen! Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you and I should rejoice with the saints and with the angels in heaven because God is an impartial God and in His impartiality, He is saving all kinds of people from all over this world. And so we have before us two realities this morning. The first is that we can deny the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and and bear the full weight of God's wrath against ourselves over and above our Creator in favor of the creature. Or, we can recognize that we could never fulfill the law of God, and so on our behalf, Christ did it perfectly. We do not want to bear the wrath of God that is due to us because of his impartial judgment against each and every one of our sins. It is the fairest thing that could ever happen, but we don't want that. So, Christ died in our place. We do not want to experience the torment of everlasting death. So, Christ was raised from the dead to everlasting life, so that by faith in Christ, our lawless partiality could be forgiven. By faith in Christ, our utter disregard for other image bearers of God could be forgiven. By faith in Christ, our pride, our self-exaltation, our hatred and enmity for God could be forgiven because Christ lived and Christ died and Christ was raised for us, for all who place their faith and their trust and their hope in Jesus Christ alone. Friend, if you do not know Christ, the gospel is for you. By faith, you can come to Christ, and He will not turn you away. He will not tell you that you are the wrong kind of person. He will not say that your sins are too much to bear. He will embrace you and change you, and if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation, because God made Him who knew no sin to be sin, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You do not have anything in you to plea before God on the day of judgment. You can only have one thing that you didn't even do and that you certainly didn't deserve. 
but that was done willingly on your behalf that will set you free. And it is the person and work of Jesus Christ alone. Jesus impartially fulfilled God's law. The Father impartially judged the Son on our behalf, pouring out the full weight of His wrath as we deserved. Jesus, as a reward for His obedience, was raised from the dead. Will you turn to Jesus Christ? Will you embrace Jesus Christ as your all in all? Praise God, friends. Praise God, brothers and sisters, that we have an impartial judge. Because if we did not, no one would be saved. But because of the impartial gospel, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, we can know everlasting life. All praise and glory and honor be to our impartial God. Amen.